Okay, well, I've got a couple of things I want to do before we get into the message tonight. We're launching a new series uh, tonight. It's called Why, the Why Series. And uh, all of our notes are always on our website. I know we cover a lot of ground. We're going to be talking about why we do that a little bit tonight to open up our series. But you can always get the message on the podcast. But then we also put the, the actual notes, all the Bible references, because I know uh, we, we may move at a pace that makes it hard if you're a note taker. And so we put all those resources out there for you. And, and also with this YouVersion app uh, that we've started using, uh, if you've got a smartphone or a tablet of some sort, you can uh, create an account through YouVersion. It's free. Uh, and then the sermon outline is actually embedded in the app. It, it, it populates the verses for you. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool technology, and so that's available for you uh, to use as we're working through uh, the message as well. So, hey, I wanted to—this was donated— uh, it's, uh, I, th I think it's called book art. I had never seen it before, uh, anything like it, but uh, Cortez and the Catalyst Effect, Cortez is back there. Uh, they had a lot of those made uh, for, I think, a promotion that they were doing. And, uh, and so he donated one of these to the church. And, uh, and so it, and let me hold it up so you can see it. It says, Speak Life, and it's just through the, the folding of the page. Isn't that cool? And so... I brought that tonight, and, and, uh, and I just said, God, I'm trusting that you're going to tell me who's supposed to get this, right? In the, uh, in the worship service, I just, I've been praying, and, uh, and I'm going to give this to Maggie, and I'm going to tell you why this is. So this is for Maggie. She is, she is full-time uh, for Crew, which is a Christian ministry at CNU. And, uh, and I just checked in with her before the service when I really felt God spoke to my heart. She's raising, she has to raise her support. And uh, she, you are a graduate from CNU, is that right? Graduate from CNU. And I said, how far are you at raising your support? And she said, I'm 95% there. So I know. So how, how cool would it be if some of you here, maybe God's speaking to your heart right now, you can close that gap for her. You with me? that you, you, you're supposed to be part of the 5%. And uh, maybe, maybe God's just been speaking that number to you. Maybe you just saw that number five during the worship set. You're like, what is that about? Well, that's what it's about. You're supposed to write Maggie a check. And so I'm just going to encourage you after the service to come up and introduce yourself to Maggie and uh, ask her how you can get involved in what she's doing uh, there at CNU. And we're just, we're excited that she's speaking life to those students. Come on on that campus. So Father, we just lift Maggie up to you uh, today, God. Father. We, we pray that this weekend, on Monday morning, she's going to be at 100%. That, that that gap is going to be completely closed. That that part of the work that you've called her to do, which we know is not easy, Father, but you've made a way for her, and that she's so close. We, we pray, Father, that she's going to wake up on Monday, and she's going to have a story to tell about who you closed that last 5%. For her, so she can speak this life, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to that generation on that campus. Come on, and everybody said together, Amen. Hey, how about how about Oktoberfest last weekend? Was it not awesome? I, I tell you, my, my favorite part of Oktoberfest are the people that show up for the service and don't know we're doing it. And they walk in and we're all wearing these crazy costumes, right? And they're going around, and they're just not quite sure. And they have that look on their face of what's happening here. And between this campus and the campus of Williamsburg, uh, we had, I think, just over 700 people between both campuses. That I know. It's so good to just experience a little bit of taste of the friendship that the family of God wants to give to them. 
And so we look forward to doing that every year. But so can I just do some honorable mentions, some of Pastor Fred's favorites? Can I just do that before we get into the into the message? And so I'm, I'm, I've got a couple of giveaways. I don't have a giveaway for everybody, but I have a couple that I'm going to I'm going to do. And the first one, I just want to say as a honorable mention, I'm getting my clock set up here. It's in your best interest that I have that. So the, the first one, I just want to do the, uh, the, the petting zoo. The, the, there was a, uh, where, where are they? Oh, there, there he is. I didn't, I didn't see you there. That's a $10 gift card for Starbucks. They had live farm animals, and if I'm not mistaken, one of the chickens laid an egg, right, during the service, right? So you can't beat that, right? Who else had that? In your, I know some of you won prizes for the trunk or treat. Nothing in your trunk laid an egg, right? Nothing. Nothing. We were telling the kids, that candy on the ground here, don't eat that. Don't, they're not raisinettes. We just don't. Don't do it. So, all right. So I also, they had the, uh, just as an as a honorable mention, there was the uh, mad scientist had the zombie eyeballs. Did anybody, did you put your hand in there? I'm, I get shivers right now thinking about sticking my hand in that box. And I think they were water beads, they said. And then I was trying to get everybody I knew, come put your hand in this box, right? It was fantastic. So I appreciate that creativity. All right, how about some costumes? Let me do some costumes. One of my favorite costumes was Jordan. Where is Jordan? He was over here just a minute ago. Jordan, there he is back there. He's back there. So before the service, I didn't realize it was his costume, right? Because he didn't have all the rest of the stuff. So his pants were all down, his butt was hanging out, and, and we were doing our pre-service wrap-up, and he's a youth leader, and I thought, oh, he's getting a call from me on Tuesday, right? Because I, I, I'm all for being relevant, but we don't do that here, right? We pull our pants up at the City Life Church. And so, 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 and then I didn't realize it was his costume, so then I was like, that's hilarious. So he did not get a call on Tuesday. So just a shout-out tonight for a great costume. I love Jamal and Travis, uh, their little, little lethal weapon. And I told them they would have won. They were Lethal Weapon. If you don't know that, then you're too young, and, uh, and you shouldn't watch that movie. So, but Lethal Weapon is that they would have won if they had reenacted the scene where Riggs is being chained, right, and is hanging in a warehouse, and they've got wet sponges connected to, to uh, uh, jumper cables on a, on a battery to get him to talk. I was like, if you could have reenacted that scene, you would have won. I'm just saying. So, but it's probably a good thing that you didn't. So the walls, right? who are on our finance team and our core leaders in the church had an actual fake still for their trunk or treat. And so they said, we might get kicked out of the church. I said, no, you're going to get a promotion here for that. So Godwin's had emojis. How cool was that? I know, I know. I was surprised that there was no nod there. Super creative. And uh, all right, I just have a couple of more. Uh, Scotty Moriarty was Captain Hook, and it was the Stellman's little girl, Allie, Stellman's little girl. When she got home, true story, she said, I saw Captain Hook at church tonight. She's this little, tiny, little girl. And he was nice. <laughs> it's so great, isn't it? Isn't it awesome? So you know she saw him and thought, oh, no, it's Captain Hook. He was really nice. I know. So, so Scotty, wherever Scotty is, he's here tonight. He's a nice guy. So uh, loved Ed and Jamie, some of the newest people in the church, all in, right? Santa costumes, loved it, right? Just jumping. All the way in, all the way in, and not being afraid to bring Christmas all the way into Halloween. Love it. Love it. So, all right, but this was my favorite. I think Don Lehman is here somewhere. He's on the SLT, was Colonel Sanders, and the picture that he took with one of their chickens in the Colonel Sanders bucket. 
It was great. So this is for Don Lehman. I'm just going to put this right over here, make sure that, that Don gets that. So, so funny. Okay. All right. All right. Enough shenanigans. Enough shenanigans. All right. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. I want to read in verses 6 through 7. Uh, the series that we're, we're starting tonight, it's called the Why Series. And we're going to be talking about uh, things that make what we feel like makes our church unique. Maybe if you're a visitor, if you've been attending for some time and you've asked the question, why do you do this or why does that happen? And so we're doing that series here. We're doing it in Williamsburg. And so you can get the podcast, even though you come to this campus, you can listen to the podcast there in Williamsburg, and Jamie's going to be tackling uh, some different topics than I am, and then both together, I think, are going to answer a lot of your questions. So this is a, a famous verse. If you've been around church for any amount of time, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, don't worry about anything. In some translations, it renders it, be careful for nothing. Uh, instead, pray about everything, and tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to talk about this word, guard. I think it's maybe one of the most overlooked words in this. I think a lot of people hone in on this teaching that it is on prayer, and it is. Uh, the worshipfulness that prayer needs to be, which it is certainly talking about that. This idea of the peace that passes all understanding. Many of you have heard that phrase before, but this word guard is a key word in the text that I believe is really going to help us to understand the question that we're going to be asking tonight, which is why do we have a teaching pulpit here at City Life? Why is teaching the emphasis of our pulpit at City Life at both campuses and soon to become on our third in Suffolk in January? So this word, this word guard or keep in the Greek is phoreo. You can get that online if you want the spelling. That's why those notes are there. But it, it means literally to guard. It means to prevent an invasion. It means to protect inhabitants. And it means to be kept in custody, right? So you're, you're getting this, this, this idea that, that, that there's an intense theme of protection, that, that whatever is, is in here needs to be kept safe from anything that's out here that wants to harm it. I've shared this story before, but the, one of the few times in my life that I've been literally afraid for my life is when I was a young adult. I was living in a, an apartment in Richmond. It was an above-ground basement, basement apartment. I was teaching up there at a church just this week for an internship program in the church just happened to be right around the corner from where our, my apartment was when I was in my early 20s. And, uh, and so it reminded me of this story in connection with this message. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night to all of this just banging in, our, in this bathroom. And uh, again, it's an above ground uh, a basement apartment, which means that half of the apartment is below ground and then half is above ground. Does that make sense? These, these big four story, if you've ever been in the fan district down in Richmond, they have these really tall buildings. And I lived, you had to go down to go into it, but the, there were windows that opened onto the alleyway uh, of, this, of this apartment that I lived in. And I woke up with this all this banging in my bathroom and I realized that it was all the hair products. I actually had hair then. And, uh, and so I had hair products that were in there that I kept on the ledge in the window. And then all of a sudden, right, in my, my stupor of sleep, it was in the middle of the night, I, I had this revelation. Somebody is coming in through the window 
and they've hit all of those bottles of shampoo and conditioner. I had lots of hair products, right? And uh, it turns out it was a really good home invasion technique. And, uh, and all of that was falling into the bathtub. So I get up, and, and the only thing that I have is this little, I should have brought it. I still have it. It belonged to my grandfather. It's this little handheld bat, and it's pretty beat up. So I don't know if there's some stories about my grandfather that I don't know, but it looks like it's been used a lot. And so I had this bat in my hand. It's the only thing that I did. I called 911, and so I'm in the hallway, and I'm thinking to myself, there is somebody in my bathroom, right? And so I open the door, and there's the bathtub, and the, and the shower curtain is drawn closed. And I'm, right? I know, Right? It's like a movie, and you watch the movie, and you say, don't go in there, right? But you can't help yourself. You can't, right? It's just like the people in the movie. It's something inside of me is saying, get out of here. And I'm thinking, i got to know what's behind that curtain, right? It's like the commercial where they say we should hide behind the chainsaws, right? You've seen that, that funny movie that makes fun of people in scary movies and the dumb things that they do? Well, I'm that person. And so I'm standing there, and I think... I'm going to sweep this thing open, right? And so I, I've got the bat right up here, right? Which you, just so you know, if I had swept that thing open and someone had actually been there, I would have passed out right on the spot, <laughs> right? I would have banged my head on the floor and they would have stolen whatever they wanted, right? And so I sweep the thing open. Nobody's in there. And sure enough, they had used a shovel. I still have the shovel today, right? The shovel, they had used the shovel to pry open the window. It was one of those old crank windows to pry it open. And they were, they were coming in in the middle of the night. It was, it was scary. This, this feeling that I had, I felt unsafe. And I felt unsafe for a long time. I would wake up in the middle of the night for years with this feeling of, of panic, panic that somebody was in the house. You know, when, when you have something traumatic like that happens to you, it can, it can linger. I, I'm sharing with you that story because all of you understand this idea that in our home, we want to feel safe. That in our home, we want to protect the people that are there and the things that are there. There's, there's some effort that we go to to lock the doors and to make sure the windows are shut and to turn lights on outside before you go to bed so there's some light, right? There's, there's routines that we have to be safe and to feel safe. We get that. It's self-evident. It's second nature in our natural lives. God says to you and he says to me, you got to do that for your heart. You, you, you have got to be willing to go to great lengths to guard your heart. That's what Paul's trying to tell us in Philippians. You find that same word guard in 2 Corinthians 11.32. We're not going to go there, but I'm just giving it to you. Galatians 3.23. This specific word, phoreo, only appears in the New Testament four times. Four times. Now listen to where else it appears. It appears in 1 Peter 1.5. And through your faith, through your faith, I'm going to talk about that word, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. He's not talking about the vow of devotion you make to Christ. He's talking about the fruit of that vow, that one day when we enter into paradise with him in eternity, which is ready to be re revealed on the last day for all to see. Now, sometimes this word faith in the New Testament means faith to believe something, like we talked about faith promise. But then other times this word faith is used to talk about everything that you believe to be true in Christianity. And that's what it means here. 
that Peter is saying that there is a body of truth that you have given your heart to, that you believe, you want to call it conviction, it's the foundation of your life, and when you have that, when you have that, there is a power of protection that comes from God over your life supernaturally. It's why we have a teaching pulpit, because God expects us to guard our hearts. The devil is always looking for a way in, and truth keeps him out. Truth keeps him out. And when you inundate your life with the truth of God's word, you are creating a home protection system for your heart. You're creating a barrier that he cannot penetrate unless, and I'm going to get to the unless in a little while. God expects us to guard our hearts. The devil's always looking for a way in. Truth keeps him out. So let's just talk about the devil a little bit. Because I think sometimes because of the comic nature of some scary movies or just the, the fascination with a lot of things that are supernatural in our world today that aren't real, that we can slip into this mindset and mentality of maybe the devil's really not real, right? That, that maybe it's just some, some character that God created to maybe create some contrast to teach us a lesson like some fable or some myth. But that's not true. The devil's real. He's a real being, and he's active. He's active in this world. So let's, let's talk about him a little bit. Revelation, Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Listen to, listen to what we're told. Then there was a war in heaven. Now, you want to realize when you're reading prophetic books of the Bible, like Revelation, like the book of Daniel, sometimes it's talking about things that happened in the future. Sometimes it's talking about things that happened in the past. Sometimes it's talking about things that happened in the present. And sometimes it's, it's hard to follow because it's moving all over the place, especially the book of Revelation. And people, I think, often think because it comes at the end of the book, you treat the Bible like every other book, that what happens at the end happens later. But a lot of what Revelation is giving us insight is what happens actually before creation. Revelation 12, 7 through 9, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, right here in Revelation, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Can, can I just say, I hope that when we get to heaven, that there is a movie for us that we could watch of that battle. Are you with me? Are there not movies that you love to see whenever they come on television? Vanessa makes fun of me, right? I, don't, I own many of those DVDs, right? But when you find it, there's just something about it, right? You have got to watch it. Anybody with me, right? I, it's like Saving Private Ryan. It's just one of those movies. I gotta, I'm sorry, I can't I'm not going to be able to do that funeral today. Saving Private Ryan is on TV. I have to, I have to watch it, right? The battle scenes in that movie, The Last Samurai, the bat, right? we all got movies, right? That, well, maybe not everybody in here if you're into romantic comedies, but for the rest of us, right, that, that, that there's battle scenes that you want to see. I want to see that battle, right? Because there's some things that we watch on TV, it's history, and that makes it more intriguing, but some of it's make-believe, right? This battle was determining the course of the universe. I, I hope we get a chance to see it. I hope we get a chance to see it. There was a real battle in heaven. The devil was there. We're going to talk about why he was there, part of what his role was. He fought, he lost, he was cast out. Luke 10, 18 
says this, yes, he told them, this is speaking of Jesus, I, this is Jesus, speaking in the first person, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Lucifer, there's three names that the Bible gives us for the devil. It's Lucifer, Satan, and the devil. Lucifer means shining one or bringer of light. It's interesting, isn't it? That's why a lot of theologians believe that it could be that his role uh, in heaven as one of the lead angels, we're going to I'm going to share why we believe he was a lead angel, was a worshiper, because his name Lucifer means shining one or bringer of light, that his responsibility was to bring glory to the Father, and, uh, and, and we're going to talk about why that is. We don't know if that's conjecture, but it makes sense to me. Satan means adversary, adversary, and devil means accuser or slanderer. Both are important, because as we've taught here before, sometimes the things that the devil says about us are not true. But sometimes what makes it hard is because what he's telling us about ourselves is actually true. Reminding us about our past. For, I, for me, the, the lies that he tries to whisper to me are, are, are not as, as, uh, as overwhelming as the true things that he reminds me about my yesterday. He's an accuser and he's also a slanderer. Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, listen to what it says, of Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north, and I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 28, 14. I ordained and anointed you. This is God speaking of Lucifer. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. It's interesting that his role is now what he tries to defeat in us. He was called to guard. He, he gave that up. And now he tries to come and break through the, 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 the guardianship of the truth of the gospel. Come on. That which defeated him, now he's trying to break through to defeat you. And we're saying as a church, we don't want that to happen. You had access to the holy mountain of God. Listen to what it says. You walked among the stones of fire, which is a reference to the altar that was in the literal presence of God. That's one of the reasons we believe he was one of the main angels of heaven. Listen to 1 Peter 5.8. Just in case you're thinking, for those are stories about who he used to be. 1 Peter 5.8. Peter says, stay alert. Be on guard. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls, present tense, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we're not trying to create fear in you tonight because of this next verse that I'm going to give to you, but we don't want you to be spiritually naive to the fact that you and I have an enemy. And God says because you have an enemy, you're responsible to guard your heart, and that he's always looking for a way in, and that truth, come on, keeps him out. 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit, that's a reference to the devil, than the spirit who lives in this world. Right? Greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. If we guard our heart, then he cannot find a way in, and truth is our defense. We have a teaching pulpit here at City Life. You might say, what does that mean? I would say it means what you're experiencing tonight. 
We cover a lot of ground. We want to go deep. We want it to have substance. We're going to cover more ground than maybe what you prefer in the amount of time that we have, but that's why we make the notes available to you, the podcast, you version. We're putting all of these resources into your hands so all of that truth, come on, I don't know about you, but I want the wall that separates me and the enemy that's trying to break in, I want that to be as thick and as tall as humanly possible, and we want to help build that wall in your life here at the City Life Church. Now, why, why do we focus in on this idea of the heart? Why do we focus in on the idea of the heart? The, the parable of the sower and the seed, I've been studying that for about a month, and I'm going to talk about this parable a little bit. Uh, I, I, I introduced it kind of to you uh, last weekend, and so I want to get a little bit deeper into it tonight because there's a, there's a, there's a huge tie-in between this idea that God expects you to guard your heart, the devil's always looking for a way in, and that truth keeps him out. That's part of why we're given what's called the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, this parable appears in three of the four Gospels, right? The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it appears in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and also in Luke 8. And so when you're studying Scripture and you find that there's a teaching or a parable or a sermon or some type of historical event that's given to us in more than one gospel, God expects you and I to assimilate all of that together. Why didn't he just make it easy and just do that for us? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. It's one of the reasons why he taught in parables, because he wants you to bring some desire to the table, right? So he gives it to us in a way that requires some effort. He gives it for us in a way that requires some study. And so we're not going to read it all tonight because it's so much content, but if you were to take Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8 and put it all together, and I would encourage you sometime this week to read all three of them together and read through, and you'll find that the Holy Spirit inspired each of them to give us some unique details. Now, I'm not going to go into the four conditions of the hearts because we did that last week. Uh, if in those notes will uh, are, are going to be in here, and you can get that offline. So, But what he does do, which we didn't get to last week, is that, that Jesus explains why he uses parables. And I think that when you come across his explanation for the first time, it surprises you like it surprises me. Because we think of parables, we, we think of parables as something that Jesus chose to use to make it easier for us to understand. But when you read in the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus tells us something actually quite the opposite as it seems. He says, I use parables, he says, so that, that it's going to obscure truth. I'm going to use parables so that it makes it harder for people to see. It makes it harder for people to hear. It makes it harder for people to understand. And I think that maybe that goes against maybe what you've been taught in the church throughout your life and throughout your journey that he used parables. And what I would say is that both are true. I believe that when you really dig into this a little bit, what you find is what Jesus is saying. He uses parables to, to require a little bit of effort on the part of the person that's listening. And a person who has fertile soil, as he describes in the parable that he gives, is a heart that's hungry to obey. It's a heart that wants to learn. It's a heart that wants to understand. And Jesus uses a parable to kind of create that feeling in you because when you hear his word with those emotions of, and desire, it helps the seed of that word to germinate in your heart. So he uses parables to press us. It's why in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they'll be filled. 
Why? Why? Because they hungered. Because they thirst. When you hunger and thirst for God's word, you're willing to say, what does this parable mean? I want to learn. I want to ask questions. Where is in the Bible is it talking? And you, all of a sudden you enter into this place of your heart just taking all of that seed and it begins to take root. It's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it doth he meditate when? Day and night. And he will be like a tree that is planted by rivers of water. His leaves will not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Come on. That's why there's parables. Because there's got to be something in you that says, God, as Jamal would say, I want to pick up what you're putting down. Come on. He's throwing out that seed of truth, and when your heart is hungry to receive, come on, that seed gets in there. He uses parables because he does not want us to be spiritually lazy. And so when you study Matthew 15 and Mark 4 and Luke chapter 8, and he references, I believe it's Isaiah 6, it's Isaiah 6, and he talks about hearts and ears and how they're going to be closed and hardened. He's not telling you what he wants to happen in people's lives. He's sharing with you an observation of what he knows happens in the human heart, that if you don't care, if you're the compacted soil and you're saying to God, I, I really don't have any, want to have anything to do with you. I want to live my life my own way. I don't like this idea of being in a permission-giving relationship. I don't like the idea of you being my sovereign, right? I get the idea of the don't tread on me on the license plate. I'm all for that. I'm a ninth generation person in Virginia. It resonates with me politically. It does not resonate with me spiritually. For some of you, you have a don't tread on me license plate on your heart, and God says you got to take that down. You got to take that down because you need me to tread on you. you. You need me to break up the fallow soil of your heart and so that you will submit to me and defer to me so that the seed of his word can go in. So when you study these three texts and it seems as though God's saying that it almost appears as though he's saying he, he, he's trying to hide the truth. He's not. He's saying the condition of your heart determines whether or not that truth is going to be hidden. It's your choice. You choose. He expects you to be a guardian of your heart. The devil's always looking for a way in. In truth, it keeps him out. You think I'm going to have a sip of water? All right. All right, let's go to, um, let's talk about this. The Bible is divinely inspired. The subheadings are not. Right? Can we agree on that? Everything in this book, right, Genesis to Revelation, it's God, he knows how to get us the Bible that he wants us to have. I, I believe in the divine inspiration of, of God's word. I believe in the Bible should be the, an authority in our lives. But, but, but a lot of the subheadings, the, 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 how they broke it out, those, those, are, those are just scholars with, with ideas, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how God intended it to be broken out. And I think sometimes they got it right, and then I think sometimes they got it wrong. And, and, and when they get it wrong, there's a consequence because it causes us to shift gears. And so in Luke chapter 8, somewhere, I don't know, around verse 16 or so, in my Bible, the New Living Translation, the parable of the sower and the seed stops, and there's an insertion, the, the, the parable of the lamp. And, and I'm not, I don't think that's how it went down. 
I think 2,000 years ago when Jesus was teaching that in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower and the seed goes all the way down to verse 21. All the way down to verse 21. And that what happens is because Jesus switched up the metaphor on us, it caused scholars to think that he's now going to talk about something different. But he's not talking about something different. We understand the Bible in light of itself. And in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus clearly talks about us having a responsibility to be a light unto the world. He talks about you don't take a light and put it under a basket, right? Vacation Bible School, one-on-one, when we were kids, right? We had the little, we had the signs and the dance we did. I'm not going to do it. Don't get nervous. And, uh, and I'm not going to sing. That would really make you nervous. Actually, it would make you a different word, probably nauseous, not nervous. But, so, but, but Jesus is saying here, hey, there's the seed of God's word. It's supposed to be scattered into the world. He's just, that's the parable of the sower and the seed. We get that. Four conditions of the heart. And now he's saying to you and to me, and I expect you to go out and spread that seed. If, if you're a person that's had the seed planted in your life, he's saying, hey, I'm not the only spreader here. We're all supposed to be spreaders. You're supposed to be a light in this world. You're supposed to take the seed that's been planted in you and go out and spread it in my world so it can get into the hearts of other people. Why? Because he knows that the devil is always looking for a way in and truth keeps him out. And so he says to you and he says to me, go out and help people learn how to guard their hearts with the truth that's been revealed to you. You've got to now reveal it to the rest of the world. You've got a part to play. The parable's not stopping. I would say that he's just getting warmed up. Then he talks about nothing being hidden. Why does he talk about that? Because in Jesus' day, so many of the religions of his day all dealt with secret knowledge and secret societies. And you had to be a certain person from a certain family with a certain resume to be trusted. And Jesus says, that's not my religion. Mine's for everybody. That's why whosoever is one of the most repeated words in the gospel. Jesus is saying, nothing's hidden here. This, everybody has equal access to the seed that I'm spreading. Whether or not it takes root in your heart has nothing to do with whether or not I want to give it to you. It has to do with whether or not you want to receive it. Everybody has equal opportunity for the seed of the gospel to be planted in their lives. The lamp. Let's talk about Matthew 13, 12, Mark 4, 24 to 25, and Luke 8, 18. These are important verses in this parable because I think it's one of the most sobering warnings that Jesus ever gave in his entire ministry. Let me tell you why I believe that. I'm going to work out a Luke 8 here. Luke 8, 18. He says, so take care how you listen. For whoever has to him, more shall be giving. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken from him. Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation too. Luke 8. Because the New Living Translation, that's the New American Standard I'm given. Sometimes you've you got to read it out of multiple ones. Come on. To get the whole story. So I want to give that out of the New American Standard. I want to give you that. And let me give you out of the New Living Translation. Verse 18. So pay attention how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, 
more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. So this is why the parable doesn't stop, because Jesus hasn't answered a lot of the questions yet. Right? If you stop it where a lot of the Bibles stop it, he never explains to you what the harvest is. So you've got to keep going because that's an important question. Right? What's the harvest he's talking about? In the parable of the sower and the seed, when he talks about 30, 60, 100 fold, many people just assume it means a harvest of people coming into the kingdom, but that's not what he means here. It's the metaphor that he uses somewhere else, but that's not what he's saying here. He tells us right here, the harvest is understanding. The harvest is insight. The harvest is Bible knowledge. The harvest is revelation. That when you allow the word of God to take root into the soil of your heart, and we're going to explain in just a minute because he tells us what it means to have a fertile heart. When you have that fertile heart, which means what we've already said, desire and hunger, but something else has got to be there. There's an ingredient that we've left out that's got to get added for it to be fertile. The, the more you let the seed of the word of God get sown into your life, Jesus says there is a harvest of understanding. That, that the seed starts as Bible knowledge, but then it soon becomes understanding, which ultimately becomes wisdom. Knowledge is about what's in the Bible. Understanding is what it means. Wisdom is, has, is having the courage to do what now what you understand to be true. And so, so, so Jesus is saying there's a multiplication here. There's a harvest of understanding. It's why maybe some people that you know, how about let's maybe it's a grandparent that's later on in the seasons of life and they've been studying God's word, come on, for like 50 years, right? And every time they open their mouth, right, it's like the Bible is just speaking in person. Why is that? Because there's a multiplication. There is a harvest of revelation that's pouring out of their lives because of a lifetime of that seed being sown into them. Now, I think we get that and we understand that part. But the part that's sobering to me, which I've never seen before until about a month ago, the part that's sobering to me is that when Jesus says, and if you don't listen, if you let your heart get hard, then you can lose all the understanding that you have today. And see, I used to think that this wasn't part of the parable of the sower and the seed, and that causes me to think, well, why would God take my understanding? But it is part of the parable of the sower and the seed. And when you put it as part of the parable of the sower and the seed where it belongs, you realize God's not the one who's doing any taking. Because in the parable of the sower and the seed, it makes it clear who's the taker, and that's the devil. In John 10, it says he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, when you take this part and put it with the parable, things change and things get serious. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize why there's people in my life. I've been in pastoral ministry since 1999. I made a vow of devotion to Christ in 1990. I've been walking with God for a lot of years. And there have been times in my journey where all of a sudden, people who were examples to me, people that I admired and respected, all of a sudden, it's like their life just went off the deep end. It's like they just forsook everything. And I used to think, how, how can that happen? This is how. This is how. Jesus says, hey, understand that I don't care how far you've come, how much understanding you've got, if you allow your heart to begin to harden towards me, you don't just lose the new revelation that I want to give to you. You open up a back door spiritually in your life for the devil come, to come in and take everything that you've already got. It's serious stuff, isn't it? God expects us to guard our hearts. The devil's always looking for a way in, and truth keeps him out. 
It keeps him out. If you're not moving forward in your spiritual journey at some point, you're going to begin to move backwards. And if I give you names of people, and some of them you might know, and, 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 and say, what have they forsaken? It, you'd be like, what? It would be the same as me maybe pulling you up here tonight. Some of you who are some of our biggest examples and say, it's possible for you to one day forsake your commitment to community. It's possible for one day for you to say, I'm not even sure Jesus is the only way to heaven. Right? If I were to say those things to you, you would say, shut up. Are you crazy? You've been eating too much of that Halloween candy. You keep stealing from your children while they're not looking. But that's what Jesus says can happen. And you and I know people who it's happened to. It's, it's, it's sobering. We have a responsibility to guard this heart and to keep the soil fertile. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Listen to Luke 8, 19 to 21. This is why we have a teaching pulpit. 20. I'm going to start reading in 19. And his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. We were digging around in this parable a little bit last night with the college and young professionals, and Monica said, isn't it interesting that, that, that they use the fact that there was a crowd as an excuse to get close to him, right? Come on, that's part of the parable of the sower and the seed. We've got to be willing to push in, as Jamie talked about, and he preached here, right? In the watch your mouth as he wrapped up that, are you willing to push through the crowd to get to the Savior of the world? Verse 20, it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. It's the final ingredient to the, the fertility of the soil of your heart. We got to be hungry. We've got a desire. There's got to be something in us that longs for the seed to be planted in our life. But if there is not an, an ingredient of obedience that's mixed into there where we're saying, God, whatever it is that you would ask of me, be it unto me. That kind of heart is fertile. And seed gets in there and it begins to take root. And we're talking about this tonight. We talked about it with the young professionals last night. We said, hey, your passion for God's word isn't just for tomorrow. It's for 50 years from now. For 50 years. It, that, that God has a destiny for you, an impact that you're supposed to have. Seed that you're supposed to, to, to spread then that's going to be a harvest from seed that gets planted in you today. It's part of one of the reasons why one of the, 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 the conditions of the heart is a today-only heart. This is part of what he's talking about. you got to have a long view, an eternal view. Be a person that desires for the seed of God's word to be planted and to take root in your life so that you can spread that gospel into the world. He expects you to guard your heart the devil's always looking for a way in, and truth keeps him out. Stand with me. Father, as we worship in this moment, if there is something that you need to plant in our hearts tonight, God, find fertile soil. And if the soil is compacted or if it's crowded out by thorns, if it's a little bit too shallow, Father, you supernaturally can do things in us to create a place for that seed to find good soil. Holy Spirit, that you would draw us out of rebellion into submission right now in Jesus' name. 
Father, that you would draw us out of the cares of this world and into the concern for your kingdom in Jesus' name. That, Father, you would draw us out of self-pity and a woe-is-me mindset and mentality and, and begin to cause faith and hope to rise in our heart in Jesus' name. That, that, that the heart that says, I want to do it my way all the time, that God, in Jesus' name, that you would come in right now and just break that up. Break it up. And if there is fertile soil that you would find in any of us tonight, make that patch of soil bigger, make it deeper, and make it richer for your kingdom's sake. Let's worship together.